It's my pleasure to talk to you about the uh, youth mission trip that we did to Lighthouse Ministries in Canton, Ohio. Lighthouse Ministries uh, was developed by a, a man named uh, Darren Nisley in 1996 and started with very small um, um, project uh, um, to uh, create a basketball court for people um, to come and uh, play basketball um, near um, uh, First Mennonite Church of Canton. Next slide. So here's a, a picture of the church, and you can see the uh, living accommodations. Um, the uh, boys had to stay in, a, uh, in an attic in an uh, unair-conditioned church. Some of the girls had to sleep on the pews. And then I'd like to show you my living accommodations. Because Glenn is a crybaby, he was put in the nursery all by himself, private, sweet, with curtains, with changing table, in case he needs changed, all kinds of amenities. Little crib to sleep in. So the growth of Lighthouse Ministries has been phenomenal. Uh, over tw uh, 20 years of uh, growth and an uh, operating budget of $210,000 now. Um, uh, and one of their um, ministries is um, a, a service learning um, program where in service learning, not only do the youth serve, but they learn and have education about uh, poverty that was uh, just phenomenal. Okay, next slide. You know, the last time I got up here and talked about a mission trip, I got all emotional. So I have invited a special guest for us uh, today, um, all the way from Connecticut. David Letterman is here to share with us the top ten list of what went on in youth missions. So with no further ado, Dave. You know, he's been kind of reclusive since he's retired, so let me run out and make sure he's here. Ladies and gentlemen, here's tonight's top ten. Number 10, God kept us safe in spite of dangerous tasks with aluminum ladders around high-tension power lines. Two crazy youth who shall not be named, Eli and Randy, jumping all over the rooftops. One crazy driver who shall not be named, Glenn, and lawnmowers that were a little iffy from the maintenance perspective. Number 9, the devotions were taken seriously by youth and adults. My favorite was Nicole Cook's, inspiring us to encourage and nurture each other. Number eight, the meals were outstanding and prepared by youth and adult teams. My favorite was the one created by the youth teams 
from goods acquired from a food pantry. Uh, Riley, you did not burn the rice, FYI. The one-day experience, number seven, the one-day experience on the bus lines, visiting the hospital, eating at a soup kitchen, and shopping at the food pantry changed my attitude about people who are homeless. Number six, the block party at Lighthouse was a hoot. All the youth participated in planning, setting up and tearing down, and running the games and food booths. I was blessed to be part of the dunk tank on a 90-degree-plus day. Number five, the service provided by the youth was inspiring and reflected very positively on them, on their parents, who must have taught them something good, on the church, and on our youth uh, director. I saw initiative to do more than what was asked, diligence, creativity, and working heartily as serving the Lord and not men. We fixed roofs, gutters, decking, cemeteries. How do you fix a cemetery? We'll let Evan tell you. (laughs) And uh, uh, gardens, and repaired a lot of tools in the process. Apparently, some of us got more paint on us than on the walls, but a lot of painting was accomplished as well. Number four, the interaction between the children who attended Lighthouse Ministries and our youth was phenomenal. Karen Clark made superhuman efforts to keep track of and keep up with his partner, Marcus. We had an outstanding football game. Uh, There was mud flying during a game involving attack sharks. And no kids drowned at Baylor Beach in spite of an appearance of the Baylor Beach monster. All right, I did my best to terrorize the children uh, there, just like I do here. Number three, the educational sessions provided by Darren Nisley improved my understanding of poverty and I am sure affected our youth in a powerful and positive way. The most impactful thing for me was a movie called God Bless the Child. And if you haven't seen it, it's worth seeing. And uh, the all-day being homeless simulation. I actually learned a lot when I showed up wearing clothes like a homeless person and asked to see the occupational therapy department at Mercy Hospital. Can you believe they did not buy my story that I was the retired director of the OT program at Cleveland State? (laughs) Number two, the fun we had. Andrew Cook entertained us with air horns, poppers, and many other pranks. Sam Balon did an impersonation of some kind of Asian hypochondriac. (laughs) Evan Jor made me laugh every night playing some kind of card game that I could never figure out. I received a poem and a special gift that shall remain nameless from Ellie and Lydiana that I will cherish forever. I could tell you more, but what goes on in youth mission stays at youth mission. Number one, the caring I experienced. Your youth took good care of each other, of the children from the mission, and of the adults. Faith Schultz asked me 25 times if there was anything she could do to help, and I should have taken a picture of her up on the roof cleaning yucky gutters. There was one session where Adrian asked us to all think of positive things to say about each other, And I was amazed at how thoughtful everyone was during this exercise. And I left the session feeling very good about myself, especially my physical aspects. (laughs) Another inside joke. (laughs) 
Finally, Adrian, Jack, Nicole, and Megan were phenomenal caregivers. I never packed a lunch uh, all week. Somebody did it for me. I got valuable advice and help during the service projects, and I was reminded constantly to hydrate, apply sunscreen, and to get some rest. Of course, I ignored all this good advice, but I did feel very cared for by the youth and adults during this experience, and I have adopted Nicole as my mother. And after the service, we'll be talking about living arrangements and my allowance. Hello, my name is Faith Schultz. Um, I'm a senior this year, and that means that the Canton mission trip was my fourth mission trip. So at this point, I started to feel like a little bit more comfortable with mission trips and like I had um, a good amount of experience on them. So prior to the mission trip, Adrienne, our youth director, she, um, she really wanted us to learn about what poverty is so that our hearts would be prepared um, to interact with, with the kids there and the, the families there. Um, but like I said, I had been on four mission trips before, and a lot of those included um, cities and places that were in poverty already. So again, I kind of felt prepared. Um, but what caught me off guard wasn't an experience I had with a low-income family or seeing the houses that were very disheveled and not well taken care of. What caught me off guard was a very direct message that uh, the leader of the ministry we were working with, his name was Darren, taught us that week. Um, so every night we would have these things called ed sessions. Um, and the message that he gave to, to me and the rest of the youth group I think is really important and needs to be shared with the congregation. So like I said, it was throughout the whole week that he taught this lesson, so I'm going to try and narrow it down in like two minutes. Maybe I'll get my point across. Um, the message was that sometimes even the most genuine hearts can't effectively help those in need and often become become bitter towards the poor because they see no change happening. Um, he told us that most of the time, Christians or charities or anyone who gives, when they see someone in need, they'll just throw money at them or give them clothes or whatever their need is. They'll, they'll just give them money. Um, but poverty is much more difficult than that. Money may bring relief for a short amount of time, but that person is going go back into poverty eventually, and you won't see any change in their life. When a person has to keep giving to the poor and sees no change in their heart, they become resentful. So I'll explain the, he showed us a chart, and I didn't take notes on it, but I'm going to kind of put it in my own words. So let's say that there's a rich man, and he wants to do something great with his money, so he gives it to a poor woman on the street. The poor woman shows appreciation for this money, and that makes the rich man feel fulfilled. So he wants to keep feeling fulfilled, and he gives again. The poor woman then, um, she has this anticipation in her and a little bit of expectation that he's going to keep giving to her, and she's going to be able to keep relying on him. So now the rich man is starting to feel responsible for her, um, and he gives again. At this point, the poor woman starts to feel entitlement, like, like you have the money, so, and I need it which leads the rich man to feel resentful, like you're taking from me. Then, at the end of the cycle, it basically leads to the poor woman becoming dependent and the rich having ownership over the poor. Now, there's obviously a couple problems with the story. One of the problems I have is that the rich man stops at giving. He doesn't make any effort to truly see what the problem is and why she's not, or why she's not getting out of poverty. 
Truly caring for these people requires us to step down from the, the I don't know, this high place that we put ourselves on um, and meet them where they're at. See what they're, the problems they're having is and actually help them step by step through it. They need to be rehabilitated, not just given relief with a couple dollars. <laughs> um, the next issue I have is the idea that comes about that the rich owns the poor. Because rich people might think in their head, without me, they'd be lost. Um, I think many of us, whether we realize it or not, have this idea in our head that we're responsible for the poor, that we owe it to them to give them something, and that that gives us resentfulness, um, and we see them as lower than us. But in Proverbs 14.21, it says that whoever oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker, but but whoever is kind to the needy um, honors God. Um, So that's basically all I wanted to share with you today. So I just challenge you that anytime you're giving, you don't just stop there. You you get to know the people that you're giving to and help them step by step. Stay there with them. Thank you. Hello, my name is Emma Popic. Um, I'm a freshman, so this was my first mission trip with the youth group. Um, I had a lot of expectations about how we were going to um, help the, those in poverty. And um, contrary to what I thought, we just talked with them and um, listened and shared God's word with them. So on Wednesday, we participated in a poverty simulation. So um, our youth group was split into several different um, groups, which were our families. So each person in the family had a different role. And this really um, helped put a fun twist on the experience and um, helped all of us have a lot more fun during it. So my family's first um, stop was the Social Security Building. So we sat and waited and um, got a small glimpse of what somebody um, would go through to have a meeting with them. So um, after that, we were waiting for um, our bus for our next stop, and there was an elderly man who was walking around and had a few flowers with him. And he gave um, me and one of my friends both flowers. So um, I really appreciated this. And this was a big deal to me because um, he was in poverty. And we all had our nice clothes on. And he still decided to give us a flower, even though that was all he had. And um, he just wanted to do something nice for someone else. And so that was something that was kind of going um, that God was showing me the whole day that to give even when we don't have very much to give or anything at all. So our next stop was a soup kitchen. Um, We sat and ate with families and talked with them and with their kids. And um, while I was talking, um, there was a little girl that we were sitting with, and I decided to give the flower to her. And she was so grateful. She had the biggest smile on her face. And um, her sister was sitting next to her, and um, she felt bad that she didn't have one. So she decided that they could share the flower and that they were going to decorate their room. And they said that it was, like, the uh, most beautiful thing, the prettiest thing that they have. And, um, again, God was showing me that 
a little thing to us, just one flower, can make someone else's day. Like, they were so happy, even though it wasn't a big deal to me. And so, um, after the soup kitchen, we went next door to the food pantry. And um, they just showed us what it was like for a new family to um, get food stamps and um, in order to be at the food pantry. And um, although not all of the families or the groups um, knew that the food we were going to get was the food we were going to have for dinner that night. So some of the groups got food that was not anything that they would normally have, and um, they weren't very happy with the food that they had picked out once they found out that's what we were going to be having for our meal. Um, so once we got back to the church, um, we started to prepare the meals and um, just cook them. And then um, we sat down in our groups and prayed and ate together. And um, they definitely turned out better than all of us thought they would. And um, so that was good. And we got to see what it would be like to only have that food. And it wasn't a lot of food. Um, that was supposed to last them uh, throughout a whole month. And depending on the size of the family, the more food they got. And um, with only that little amount of food, I definitely wouldn't be able to go a whole month. Like, my family wouldn't be able to go a whole month with that. And um, I was just so grateful that we um, have so much more than they do. And um, it was definitely a hard day for us. We were outside in the heat and had to wait for a while between um, each bus and each stop. And I was just thinking, that was one day, one day compared to a whole life of um, waiting and being in the buses. And I couldn't imagine having to um, be outside in the heat or when it's cold. And um, I was very grateful to have the opportunity to see that and um, to see what other people uh, may go through in a day. And I hope that next year we can do um, even more and that we can learn more about this. Good morning, church. Uh, I'm Evan Jor. What are you laughing at? Um, and I am heading off to college uh, in a month or so. So this was my last year in our youth group and uh, my last mission trip, my fourth one. Uh, for six years, I've been blessed to be a part of this youth group, and it's been a pleasure to go on all our annual mission trips that we've done each summer. Uh, my first two, I went to Nashville, Tennessee. We went to Kenosha, Wisconsin last year. Um, and this year, we went to Canton, Ohio. Uh, youth mission trips are unique in that they probably more than anything else scare youth leaders to death. I don't envy Adrian one bit for the burden of responsibility it is to take 20-plus high schoolers on a week-long trip far from home. I also hold her in very high regard for the grace in which she deals with adversity. Mission trips are also unique in that they are an opportunity to focus on what the Spirit is trying to show us. The very first full day that we were there at Lighthouse Ministries, we helped out with yard work and other maintenance jobs on the property. I find it more than coincidental that several shingles needed replaced, and Eli Popick, my friend and experienced roofer, was there to do the job. I did my fair share of mowing and weed whacking in the cemetery that backed up the church we stayed in. 
there's nothing more paradoxical, paradoxical than uh, being ex- incredibly satisfied and seeing the cut lawn and at the same time seeing the other three or four acres left to go. <laughs> All right. When many, and I should really say most of the tools we were using were either working or jammed, Mr. Goodman was there to fix them up and get us back out there. I won't complain too much about my mower, which was the only one without power steering, because the darn thing wouldn't even run in the first place before Glenn got to it. While helping in these ways around the property and hanging out with the neighborhood children were an amazing experience, one element of the trip that resonated with me more than anything else um, was something that Darren taught to us all week, and uh, it's something that Faith talked about. Um, He was trying to get us to understand the nuances of the lost and the downtrodden. One thing that he talked about really hit me, and it was the concept of toxic charity. When it comes to poverty, it's easier for most people, for us, to donate our money, pray for the missionaries, and give food to our local food banks. Don't get me wrong, all of these are in themselves good things, especially prayer. Sometimes, however, something more than just money and a few cans of Campbell's Finest are necessary. When someone finds themselves in poverty, they feel trapped and hopeless. Poverty is often generational, although it's sometimes situational. Parents watch in resigned despair as their kids become mired down in the same troubles as they once were. It isn't enough to just give them some help. We have to help them up. People are by nature communal, built for relationships. Darren stressed to us that one of the Lighthouse's missions was to walk alongside the poor, to give them encouragement and community by living among them, interacting with them, and being an active part of their lives. Teaching, supporting, encouraging, that is what is often needed just as much as money. I never really understood this in a way. The realization is not a fun one either. It takes commitment to attack poverty in the way that Darren and others do at Lighthouse. We all cannot spend our whole day in the darkest parts of our neighborhoods, and God has given us blessings that determine our ability to give back. But to those of us who can, I would say that we need to never forget that poverty isn't an abstract problem in society. It's your neighbor who realizes that they won't be able to pay the bills this month. It's the coworker who got sick and lost their job who you never saw again. It's the kid at school who wears nice clothes to hide, from it, to hide that his family lives in a two-room apartment that his friends would wrinkle their nose at. Poverty is people, and we must approach it in the manner it deserves. I'm glad my, my final mission trip with my youth group was able to show me that. Thank you, Evan, and Faith, and Emma, and Glenn. It's, it's tough to follow that genuine experience and the, the heartfelt memories that you had. It would have been easier if Glenn had gone last, but um, <clears throat> nonetheless, let's, um, let, let's take some time to open God's Word together and, I think, see what, what I think His Word for us is today. So I'd invite you to stand as you turn to Luke chapter 10, Luke 10, verses 38 to 42. And as we turn to that, would you pray with me? Lord God, I thank you for the work that you have done just a few weeks ago in and the work that you're continuing to do through our youth. Thank you that we can celebrate a a generation who is growing up loving you, seeking to serve you, seeking to reach out to their neighbors with your love. God, I pray that as we open your word together, that you would inspire us to do the same. 
that you would make your word real in our lives. Lord, get me out of the way that we may see you truly. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So Luke 10, uh, beginning with verse 38. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Amen. You may be seated. This might seem like an unusual scripture to focus on on the week that we're celebrating our youth's mission trip. Uh, At first glance, it can look as though Jesus is saying, Martha, all that serving that you're doing, all that helping that you're doing, really isn't all that valuable. Really, it's better if you would just sit here at my feet, if you would just learn, pray. But of course... If you know anything about Scripture, you know that's not the case. As faith reminded us from from Proverbs, as we see throughout the Gospels and the New Testament, the kingdom of God is about the restoration of the world. We heard about that just last night at yearly meeting. We're reminded that God seeks to redeem the whole world, and he invites us to be a part of that process as we serve our neighbors. Really, what Jesus is saying here isn't that Martha's work is bad. It's just her focus that's off. She is anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Then what's that? Keeping our focus on Jesus. That's an important lesson, but I think it's also important for us to realize that This isn't the end of the story. We're blessed to have John's gospel, where he tells us a bit more about what happens in the lives of Martha and Mary. We see in John 11 and 12 the, the miraculous work that he does in their lives. And we see this at the beginning of John chapter 12. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. As we look at this, taking place some time later, at first glance it can look as though really not much has changed, has it? Martha is still serving. Mary is still at Jesus' feet. 
But if we look deeper, we see that in reality, everything has changed for these women. This is a story of growth. Martha has grown from serving selfishly, from complaining to Jesus. My sister isn't working hard enough. Look at everything I'm doing for you. Why can't you tell her to help me? Here, she is serving selflessly. Mary has also grown. She's grown from sitting at Jesus' feet in learning to anointing Jesus' feet in worship. What changed them? We might say, if we look right back at the first verse of chapter 12, we can say, well, clearly, Jesus raised their brother from the dead. But I don't think that's the whole story. Because as we see through the pages of Scripture, miracles alone don't really change people. The miracles in the wilderness didn't really change the people of Israel. The Pharisees had a front row seat to Jesus' healings, and they were unmoved. Here, the chief priests know that Jesus has raised a man from the dead, and what do they do? They make plans to kill him again. Now, miracles alone don't really change people. So what does? Well, we see in chapter 11 of John's gospel that Jesus met both of these women on the road outside Bethany. Jesus met Martha, and she saw who he really is. We read in John 11, beginning with verse 21, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give to you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe that? She said to him, Yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. I think Martha's exchange with Jesus shows that she took his gentle correction that she received in in Luke, she took that to heart. She has listened. She has studied at his feet. She knows that the Father listens to him. I think we could even say that she has a pretty solid eschatology. But that isn't what makes a difference, is it? Notice she doesn't actually respond to his statements about dying but living or living and never dying. It's kind of confusing. She doesn't even really respond to that. What does she say? She responds with her faith in him and her relationship with him. That is her confession. You are my Lord. I believe that you are the Messiah. I believe that you are divine. And I believe that you are changing everything. Martha puts her trust in Jesus, in who he is, 
And she is taken from selfish service to selfless service, just like her Lord. Mary. You might say, well, Mary didn't really need to grow, did she? She was doing the right thing, but she grew regardless. A few verses after what we just read, Mary has heard Jesus' coming and she runs out of the village toward him. And when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Now Mary has continued to learn and to listen, I think. But in the face of her grief, she's left nearly speechless. All she can do is repeat her sister's words, that that cry to him, Lord, if you had been here, if you had only been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And how does Jesus respond to her? He doesn't give her theological arguments. He doesn't try to correct her doctrine. He weeps with her. Mary experiences Jesus' love on the road into Bethany, and she sees that he has entered into her suffering, just as he entered into ours. And how does she respond? With worship, with extravagant, over-the-top worship. Well, what does that mean for us? Well, very quickly, if you could just go to the, the last slide in the interest of time. I think first we can see that serving without focusing on Jesus is just selfish. Now, that can come in two ways. One is what we see in, in Martha in Luke's gospel. She's serving, but she's concerned that other people see how hard she's working. She's concerned that I don't want to be left serving alone. Other people need to come alongside me. But if we should serve God and not people, we shouldn't look for recognition for the work that we are doing. As that song that played during that video proclaimed to us, I don't want to leave a legacy. I don't care if they remember me. Only Jesus. Now, not all of our work is something that can be hidden, that we can just kind of do in the shadows. Sometimes the work that we do is more visible. But when that's the case, if we serve without pointing other people to Jesus, then it's still selfish. Now I know telling others about Jesus can be uncomfortable. It can be easier to go and paint someone's siding or clean out their gutters or feed them in a soup kitchen than it can be to tell them about Jesus. And that certainly isn't popular in our day. But Romans 10.14 tells us, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? 
And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Serving without telling people about the reason for our service shows more concern for their temporary circumstances than their eternal destiny. Serving without pointing people to Jesus isn't seeking what's truly best for them. And it isn't truly serving the God who told us to go and make disciples of all nations. Painting their house is good along the way. But if we aren't making disciples, we're missing the point. And it's just making us feel better about ourselves. Secondly, we can see from Mary that learning without experiencing Jesus' love is hollow. Learning alone can't prepare us for the difficulties that we will face in life. Learning alone can't help us to support those who are going through troubles alongside us. But if we know Jesus, if we go beyond learning about him and truly seek his face, if we enter into relationship with him and experience his love, we can know his peace in the midst of suffering. And we will want to tell others about him. Because finally, true service and true worship will draw others to Jesus. John tells us that people believed in Jesus and came to him because he raised Lazarus from the dead. Well, how did they know he had done that? How did they hear? I don't think it's reading too much into the passage to see that part of the answer is right there. Martha threw a banquet, probably for her whole neighborhood. Mary worshipped. And the aroma of her praise, we're told, filled the house. And I have to imagine filled the entire village. Martha served. Mary worshipped. And others were drawn to Jesus. As you serve and as you worship, are you pointing others to him? Or is your service selfish? And you're learning hollow. It's my prayer that as the youth have been learning, as the youth have been experiencing, that we would know his grace, that we would know his love, and that others would be drawn to him because of our witness and our service. Would you pray with me? Lord God, I thank you Thank you for the work that you are doing in and through the young people of our church. Thank you for the work that you're doing in and through the old people of our church. God, I pray that this would be a place where those throughout the community and those around the world can say that they serve because they know Jesus. That they worship because they know his love. Lord, I pray that we would know your grace, that we would know your freedom, and that we would know your love this day. Amen.